Hello, it's Natalia Lloyd and welcome to my podcast, Beehive Household. As part of my interior design business, my first chat with my clients is a deep dive into their lifestyle and daily routines to be able to understand how they use their homes. And this is where the idea for this podcast came from. So subscribe and listen to find out about the daily routines of my extraordinary guests, their mindset, their choice of interiors, but most importantly, how their life at home sustains their success and much, much more. Today, my guest is one of the leading women in the UK hospitality industry, multi-award-winning chef, philanthropist and the owner of Treadwell's restaurant, Chantal Nicholson. I typically meet my guests in their own home, but for Chantal, her home away from home is her restaurant, where she spends a lot of her time, so it seemed natural to have this chat where her heart is, at Treadwell's. And since we met near the end of September, Chantal has also announced the opening of her new restaurant, All's Well, in East London, in the location that she has always dreamt of. Now, going back to 2004, Chantal got to the final of the Gordon Ramsay Scholarship Competition and moved to London from her sunny home in New Zealand to work for the Savoy Grill, run by Marcus Waring and Gordon Ramsay at the time. Her cooking skills and all-round talents were undeniable and she became Marcus Waring's protégé whilst working at his then-restaurant Petrus. Together they then opened Gilbert Scott with Chantal as the general manager and she later became the group operations manager for Marcus Waring's restaurants. Chantal also co-authored five books with Marcus and published her first cookbook, Planted, under her own name. Chantelle, welcome to the Beehive household. Thank you, it's lovely to be here. So first of all, congratulations on the news about Treadwell's ownership. Thank as, you. As it hasn't been a public knowledge for over two years, mm -hmm. is that right? Were you impatient to announce this big achievement of yours? In some ways yes, in some ways no. I think for me it was, obviously it had been something not a lot changed in some senses because this had always been um i guess under my um running of mm. it and having a name like marcus associated with it obviously from a kind of marketing public perspective you know it was quite helpful in some senses but on the other side i felt that it was time to actually talk about the fact that it was under my ownership and it allowed me to talk more about my passions and my ethos. Fair enough, yes, makes sense. And as we are here in Trezels now, is it safe to say that this is your second home or maybe your first one now, right? Pre-COVID, <laughs> um, pre, pre it was probably my first home. Um, right. But I did have the opportunity to spend some time at home, obviously during lockdown, which was interesting. Was it? Yeah, it was. I, I hadn't really spent a huge amount of time in my own home. Um, since I'd moved there. So it was really lovely to have some time to actually to myself. And we'll get there in more detail, mm. so I'm letting you go. But um, I must say, I absolutely love this industrial look, the infamous clock. I'll let you talk a yes. little bit more about it. So for, for the benefit of the listeners, at the face of the clock is a collection of English table knives. And it's, um, it, it's absolutely stunning masterpiece as you walk into the restaurant. Um, it's it's one of those central points and central mm. pieces and I think that it's got a little bit of a story behind it. 
Yes, I mean, originally we actually, with the design, we wanted a knife wall, um, but then found that that probably wasn't the best uh, thing to welcome people, but also <laughs> it was pretty tricky to kind of fathom. And so we decided on a clock um, made of knives. So I spent quite a bit of time on eBay actually purchasing, purchasing all the knives. So they're all used knives. Um, right. So all would have a story behind them as well. I'll take a beautiful picture of this. Um, for those who have not seen it, but um, it, it's, um, it definitely adds to the edge mm. of the restaurant and to the whole story of where it is. So, um, so you come from New Zealand. I do. And does the rest of your family live in, back in New Zealand or have you got anyone here? No, so my mum and my sister live over here and I've got a niece and a nephew as well. Oh, fantastic. So when you left New Zealand behind, you obviously started working with two huge names in the restaurant scene, Marcus Waring and Gordon Ramsay. And after their big fallout, you followed Marcus. Was that relationship the stronger one for you? How did you get to choose? Um, it was more a case of that I had, I was already working with Marcus. Um, Gordon wasn't hugely involved in, in the restaurants or the restaurant. Um, and it was just kind of a natural progression to stay with him and then also be part of the um, the new the new company moving forward. Right, right. I presume that was a huge for you. That was a bit of a career change um, from your legal background. Mm -hmm. So you were in your comfortable nine to five, maybe longer yes. <laughs> office job. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? So that was I'd always had a passion for food growing up. Um, eating it, cooking it. I used to get cookery books out from the library. I used to try these kind of probably slightly too advanced things that would, would drive my mother a little stir crazy. Um, especially because like I wasn't as good at cleaning up then as I am now. <laughs> so I did used to make a big mess. Um, but thankfully she, she kind of stuck with that. So I felt that, yeah, I, when I went to university to study law and business, I needed a job. Right. And thought, well, I'll do something that's that I actually have a passion for and that's not to do with what I'm studying so that there's yeah. a bit of variety in things. So went into, just popped into a local cafe that I loved and said to them, I have no experience, but I'm looking for a job as a cook. If you have anything, here's my CV. Mm -hmm. And which would have, would have been empty. Well, it was empty. Well, well, I've kind of done some... Previous, I've okay, done some interesting relevant. jobs. Flower picking, cherry pick, cherry sorting. Cherry um, sorting, wow. Flower sorting. I've worked as an office uh, junior. So lots of kind of stuffing invoices and envelopes, shredding, making coffee, washing dishes. So I've kind of done Very a, little, a little bit of everything, yeah. I would say. And so... They like that. They did. And coincidentally, they were looking for a part-time cook. So it was just kind of serendipity that they needed someone and I just walked in. So they gave me an opportunity, which I was very grateful for. And that was in a cafe, so it was just a, quite a lot of baking and cooking. And I used to have to get up, be there at six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, which when you're a student is kind of a bit of a big ask. It's a commitment. It is a commitment, but I really enjoyed it. And then from there, I got a job in a restaurant kitchen, just a small boutique hotel that had a restaurant and found myself you know, really loving that and actually working there full time right. whilst finishing my studies. And, and the full-time work was much more rewarding and exciting. interesting <laughs> and exciting. So I kind of thought this is probably telling me something. 
but I thought I would, my mother said after spending all the time at university and getting my degrees, I needed to at least give mm. it a try. So mm. I did that. I moved to Wellington and got a job with a banking ombudsman. So yes, working kind of nine to five in an office yeah. um, until the opportunity came. It was through a competition that I was, one of the judges was actually the head chef at the Savoy Grill at oh, the time, Josh right. Emmett. Yes. And so he offered me a job at the Savoy. So I thought, well, I can't really turn that how down. Long, how long did you think about that? <laughs> All of kind of 30 seconds. And <laughs> what did your mum say? Uh, I can't remember actually. Maybe I blocked it out, but I, um, <laughs> that happens. Yeah, I was. I think they, you know, she saw it as an opportunity as well. But it was, yeah, a very swift. I think I went into work the next day, handed in my notice, applied for my visa, and probably was in a, on a plane over here within kind of the space of a few weeks, just like that. And intended to stay two years. Sixteen years later. Wow, wow, and you're still loving it. Yes, I mean, a lot has changed in that period of time. Yeah. And obviously, a lot has changed in the last six months. A lot has changed in the last 24 hours as well. So exactly. there's a lot of a lot of changes and a lot of challenges to face. But there is a sense of, um, you know, coming in, putting my whites on and, and being able to work with food. So with that change, how did your work-life balance change <laughs> it completely flipped completely so, okay. yes i went from working eight hour days sitting in front of a computer a desk, uh, yes. to working 18 hour days on my feet um, in a kitchen which obviously when you're doing that level of physical work for that many hours means that the downtime is spent resting and obviously for you to get noticed it's you know that talent and that Think, you know the passion that you have in you but it's also dedication it's also you will be putting hours in mm -hmm. when would your working day finish back in the day so we used to have to start I think at eight o'clock in the morning um, I used to get in a bit earlier because I felt that yeah there was always to. things to do yeah and we would finish probably between 12 a.m. and 1 a.m. sometimes a bit later so they were long days and to start with, we would do four days on, three days off. So you did have a chance to kind of recuperate, recharge. recharge. Yes. Um, but if you, because it a row to work per week, so there was a potential that you could work eight days in a row, right. eight, those hours as well. So it was, um, yeah, definitely a, to start with, it was kind of a bit of a, a shock, but it is fascinating how quickly your body adapts to certain circumstances especially if it's something that you enjoy. And I think because I was being so, I was just, I felt like a sponge. I was just soaking up so much, yeah. um, so many skills, so much knowledge, so much experience that mm. it, it, that's what motivated me to keep going. What were those three days off? Is it three days off you mm -hmm. had? What were they like? So the first day I would sleep, literally <laughs> all day. I would probably get up for a, an hour or two. Um, right have something to eat and go back to bed. <laughs> so literally the, the first kind of 24 hours were just a complete write off. Yeah. Um, the next day I would probably get up and maybe do something, but probably have to have a nap in the afternoon <laughs> and then potentially do something with friends that night. Um, and then the next day would kind of be, again, just resting and preparing myself for kind of to, ready to go again. Right. And back in the days, where, where did you live? So I lived in London Bridge, London Bridge, actually, okay. which was great, very close to the Savoy. Yeah. Um, 
originally I used to get the bus, I think, and then I actually got a bike, which was perfect because there was yeah. no traffic at the time. So I was cycling. So yeah. it was a really, and I didn't have to wait for a bus. I think that was the most frustrating thing. Finishing work, just wanting to go home and go to bed and having to wait, you know, if you just missed a bus, having to wait for the next one. That's so right. this, a bike gave me that, that freedom to be able to actually have more sleep as well. And at one o'clock in the morning, mm. what else can you do? Just cycle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. After exactly. a busy working day. Mm. Oh, that's a bit of an exercise. And you moved to your current home um, sometime in, in... Six years ago. Six years ago. Yes. Right. And is it Central London located? It's an angel. An angel. Okay. Mm -hmm. How are you finding that? What's, what is your current home like? So I have a... It's right... It's kind of on the main road, so in a kind of busy area. Um, and it's, I guess, quite narrow it's three stories but quite narrow so a lot of stairs and a very narrow entrance corridor so it was built many many years ago it's i think it was one of the first ones built in an angel in islington right. so it's definitely got a huge amount of history it has a roof terrace which was something that i'd you know always really wanted to kind of get um a bit of fresh air yeah space. but also just actually spend some time on it and actually have, have a garden effectively or pots etc so that was what lockdown did bring was the opportunity to actually enjoy it <laughs> enjoy it but to actually plant and create and garden and do all the things that i'd never had time to do before yes i've seen i followed the stories on instagram about yes. your planting yes tell us a bit more about that so that was a really exciting thing i've always kind of loved plants and, and growing things but never never had the opportunity to do so so it was really there's a comeback you know, from your childhood when you yes absolutely in New Zealand. yeah mm. yeah we always had gardens as you know growing up and always had veggie gardens at least herbs etc growing in the garden so that was really great to be able to actually do that for myself as well which is something mm. i've not really done before and yeah just experimenting with different things how to grow them what are you and growing I, now so I really wanted to get um, something that reminded me of New Zealand and thought, well, what actually can kind of grow in, in London on, you know, on a quite a windy, a windy uh, yes, space that doesn't get a huge amount of, of, of sun. Mm. So I really wanted to find something. So I looked, did a bit of research and found that um, silver ferns, which obviously the, yes. um, the symbol for the All Blacks, yeah and found that they would would grow here so i thought actually i'll get i'll get two of those so all of them online um they turned up a couple of weeks later and i kind of i felt a bit foolish <laughs> when they arrived because they were just stumps and yeah. i thought okay <laughs> this is not what i expected but okay and i thought oh well you know I just have to i'll give it a them. go i'll give yeah. it a go but what then followed was this incredible kind of um they went wild unfurling With a bit of your of energy yeah, it was. They were incredible. They were like having a little pet because suddenly these these kind of furry heads arrived, and yeah. then they would sprout out, and then they would unfurl into these amazing kind of ferns. So they were a really incredible kind of experience to have. Can you and to them? be there actually? You know, to be there and see them do it rather than be you know coming leaving and coming home in the dark and not being able to see what's going on. That's so, right. So mm. you can use it in your dishes or? No, no, no they're so just decorative. Um, right. But it's just, yeah, it's a nice sense of kind of reminding me of, of, of home. So I did plant some herbs as well. So I've had, and some vegetables. So I've had basil, marjoram, coriander. Um, I've got some chilies, some kale, 
and some chives. What else have I grown? Um, nasturtium leaves, thyme, rosemary. So yeah, that's been really lovely. Very, very handy for mm. a um, talented chef. I wouldn't know what to do with half of them, probably. <laughs> um, so you're going back to your daily routine. Mm -hmm. So we talked about what it was like in the beginning when you mm -hmm. moved to London. And as your career progressed, as you started getting more and more responsibilities, as you became um, you know, a key figure to, in, in your restaurant business, mm -hmm. in your um, boss's business, how, how did that change? Did you, did you still get your three days? No. Two days of sleep. <laughs> no. Right. I was exactly getting yeah. in there. So, so how... things to change. And I think I probably started working more, more hours. Um, Were there days off at all? Sporadically. Yes. Right. Sporadically. We used to be closed on Sundays. So that was always generally a day off um, when I was still in the kitchen at Patrice, which then became Marcus working at the Barclay. But then when I, I did step out of the kitchen at the end of 2010 to open the Gilbert Scott. Right. And whilst that was slightly different from not being in the kitchen, obviously the responsibility was kind of tenfold of opening this, you know, iconic building and right. my first foray into actually running a restaurant, so to speak. So that was pretty, pretty intense. And I actually moved very close to the restaurant so that I would be able to come and go quite easily and kind of maximize the, the sleep time really. So, yes. but the first year I, I pretty much worked every single day. I think the first year we were open, um, which isn't the smartest thing, um, but I felt in order for me to actually learn every bit about that business, that was what I needed to do. So you're saying it's not the smartest thing. What would you do differently? Um, I think, in terms of, I think it, you know, as I've grown and, and had my own restaurant, it's very much about the people who are around you. I think that's the most important thing that allows you to be able to prosper and grow and develop yourself. And I guess complementing yourself with people that can do things that you can't and vice versa. You can do the things that other people aren't so good at. So I think it's very much becomes about that, that team approach. And I felt, I guess I felt I needed to have that level of responsibility and control, okay. which probably didn't allow others to be able to have that responsibility and grow for themselves as much as, as they could have. Did it affect your relationships with the team? Um, not necessarily. I think they, there was probably a sense of comfort in that, you know, I was there all the time. You will in some take respects. care of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but on the other, on the flip side of that, I think it probably you know, potentially didn't allow others to to prosper as much as they could have. It's a comfort zone, isn't it? Because yes. Chantal yeah. is there. She yeah. will and it was kind of a comfort zone for me to be there because I would almost probably worry if I wasn't there. So I felt, well, actually, I'm going to worry anyway. I might as well be, <laughs> I may as well yeah. be here, which, yeah, probably, which didn't allow for much time outside of work either. So, I mean, we're talking about this in light of a work-life balance. Where was life? There wasn't a balance, no. There wasn't no, a balance. There wasn't. Was there, so what is, what would you do? In, is there any spare time for yourself that you, what is, what was it like? I get a feeling like it was work, 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 work for a long period of time. There was yes. no, no time to really 
meet the friends and hang out mm. and um, I don't know, go to a spa. It's yeah. like almost a, probably <laughs> no. an, an inappropriate word in that kind of context, isn't it? Um, to just dedicate a little bit of time to yourself as well, because mm. you're under a lot of pressure. You have a lot of responsibilities. Um, how, yeah, how, how can you mentally sustain that? What helped you? I think for me, it was, um, I think because I had a really, a real passion for what I did, that it was, I think I was learning constantly as well. So that was, you know, when you're learning, it feels like you want to keep going. Um, but it is kind of a vicious cycle. And once you get into it, it's very hard to get out of it. Mm. And it's very hard to stop once you've kind of gone that far into something and, and working that intensely. Yeah. Um, and so I think it was just, yeah, I think what kept me going, I don't, I don't really know. I can't really you can't, <laughs> answer you don't that. And, and, you know, because when I kind of step away from it, um, yeah, it's quite hard to see how, how that did kind of Was happen. there a breaking point at some stage? No, I think the first, the first time I did actually take a holiday um, was in some ways a bit of a, an eye-opener for me too because I, I kind of did crash a little bit um, and found it very hard from going from kind of all to nothing um, and found it hard to relax and, and you know enjoy the holiday as such. So When was it? That was 2012. Um, it wasn't the last holiday you took. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 thankfully not. Um, so I think it was, yeah, it was almost, I guess that, you know, kind of cold turkey, which, you know, can work for, in, in some senses in a bizarre way, kind of. Um, you forgot how to relax. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So you needed to reinvent that. Re-educate myself. Re-educate yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you, you come across very strong and together and you can do it all and cope it all so it you, you um, correct me if i'm wrong i get a feeling like maybe you don't necessarily will be talking about the struggles you know that mm -hmm. it's hard it's tough it's mm. uh, you just um, kind of like talk to yourself within yourself that's the feeling that i get from mm. you that you maybe just uh, sort it out within yourself don't need anyone's help getting through it needs needs to be done mm. is that right yeah, I would say that's probably a good summation of just, and I felt that I had that responsibility and I was the one that had to show that, you know, everything was okay and, and kind of, um, you know, take that responsibility from everybody else and, and kind of shelter them in some respects yeah. and shoulder the responsibility. Mm. Amazing. Mm. So we are obviously in very peculiar times mm -hmm. this year. Tell me, how, how was it for you? So I think when it, everything kind of first happened, it was that, again, that kind of surreal shock of, okay, what do I do? And I felt a huge responsibility again for the 45 people that I employed because obviously I was, their livelihood effectively, I was responsible for it and, and, and you know, to kind of put it bluntly. So to start with, it was very, I really felt that pressure. Um, and then, so thought, well, okay, what can we do? How can we, how can I bring an income in to be able to then give the team an income? And so that was when we started to pivot towards the, the delivery. Um, so it was right at the beginning of lockdown, just pre-lockdown actually. Um, and so we, we started that service, which was kind of crazy Takeaways. busy. 
delivery so it was more it wasn't anything hot food it was just all cold food also groceries because at that time people couldn't get flour they couldn't get eggs whereas we could right. so it was almost us getting them to then uh, kind of becoming a, the middleman in some respects um which was hugely a huge learning curve as well because it was there was the the third parties that are now available weren't available then at, at a cost that would have worked so we did everything ourselves um so that was a, it was a huge learning curve but i felt that at least i was doing something proactive i think that was the kind of saving grace and then thankfully they announced the job protection scheme the furlough scheme so and I felt very conflicted about actually asking the team to travel so I kind of called an end to to the kind of delivery and then it was literally just kind of shut up shop and kind of who knows you know walk away from something that I didn't know when I would be coming back to it um so I think the first, you know, actually the walking away was the really kind of leaving on that last day. I remember kind of leaving and I had a lot of stuff, so I had to get um, a cab home. Did you cry? Yes. <laughs> I feel emotional yeah. now, to be yeah. honest. Um, yeah, I just got on the cab and just, and just cried. It was that feeling of just, you know, I think there'd always been, I'd always made certainty in my life and I'd always kind of, you know, even if things were uncertain, I could find a, a way forward with certainty. And I think at that point I didn't, there was no certainty. Yeah. Um, and so, and it was a very weird feeling to be at home and to not have the the pressure in some ways. So okay. kind of working through that and just not checking my emails every kind of hour, you know, kind of relearning how to, <laughs> how to not be Busy. so engaged with, with the restaurant. Um, so that was a, you know, kind of a learning curve, but then, there was a time that it became a real kind of pleasure to be able to just actually have time and not have to rush anywhere and not have to um, be constantly checking on things. So from that perspective, there was a time that was, you know, really, um, I guess it was time for myself, you know, yeah. which I hadn't had in 16 years, actually even cooking for myself, which is something I hadn't done in 16 years, really. So yeah. that was really, you know, that was a really... Um, positive time obviously there was always the kind of that underlying anxiety of what you know what was going to happen yeah um but I think there was a kind of a point where I just accepted that that was you know we were going to be in lockdown until for at least kind of three months as things progressed it was like it's going to be at least three months so I might as well make the most of it um what so did you do so yeah cooking the most I mean cooking. cooking exercising my terrace um you know, catching up with friends, socially distanced. You know, I had people that were local to me, so I could just go and kind of stay on their doorstep and catch up with them. Um, and yeah, just take the time for myself, really. Mm. So now we've we we obviously sort of back. This is a yes flavor of um, release that you know the the wind of change mm -hmm. slightly happened, and we obviously been receiving new and new restrictions and announcement and um, it, it's it's not easy it's not really liberating for mm. the restaurant business mm. um, where do you find yourself now so I felt that you know when we so we reopened at the beginning of August um, and I felt that was it felt positive you know, it felt good to be back and actually again being proactive to do something and August was okay we had you know there was a lot of success with the eat out scheme yeah that definitely made a huge impact and then September came and that was you know it's been considerably quieter and obviously being in central London 
we've kind of got a triple whammy of no theatres, no tourists and no office workers. And it felt like things were kind of starting to, to move forward only to be completely kind of put back um, this week, you know, effectively yeah. in terms of, of the restrictions that are now in place. And I think although some restrictions don't impact us directly, I think it's the psychological impact of them that's just made people be a lot more cautious. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective, it's, and I think that's, you know, now it almost feels worse than when it did in March because now there is just complete uncertainty. And generally for us, December is a time where we make hay effectively. You know, we get a lot of revenue in, which allows us to, to function. Um, and that just won't be happening this year. So it's very kind of, yeah, there's just no kind of the Illusion. ground to move forward yeah. on. It doesn't seem to be there right now. Mm. Challenging. Mm, very. Challenging. Mm. So, slightly changing mm -hmm. the subject and um, hopefully to, you know, another, other different achievements and um, to see how that develops. So you are a founding member of Chef's Manifesto mm -hmm. that focuses on planetary health and general well-being. Mm -hmm. So how does that focus that motto manifest in your day-to-day -day life? I think it's something that I apply to to the restaurant. Um, it's not, you know, it's about, it's a manifesto and it, it's based on people and planet. So it's, um, you know, respecting the natural resources of the planet, but also respecting livelihoods and culture, um, which is a huge part of it, and, and people, which is a big part of how things work. So I think it's almost a, a in some ways, it's like shift in terms of how businesses traditionally have been run to actually think a bit more holistically about not only what the business does, but what comes into the business, what the outputs are of the business. And I think that's, you know, now there's also interesting um, frameworks for that, such as B Corps, which really interests me and intrigue me to be able to, to move forward of a positive way of running a business and actually kind of setting up the framework so you know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, I guess, that, that 360 of, of looking at a circular business in terms of, of the people that are involved in it. Right. Um, because it is, that, that makes up the biggest part of any business. Yeah, mm. no, no, definitely. And um, ethos of Treadwells is conscious cooking. Mm -hmm. um, so is it the same when you cook for yourself at home? So we touched the subject of mm -hmm. you actually being able to cook throughout the COVID lockdown times. and what do you cook for yourself? I think everyone is interested to know that. Um, so is, does the presentation matter when no. you cook for yourself? No. No, I think the presentation doesn't matter, but I'm also very conscious of when a dish is created that you kind of get a little bit of everything in each mouthful. So I guess placement versus presentation um, is important. But when you're at home, you can kind of be a bit freer about you know, how you eat. Um, right. So I think in terms of what I cook, I mean, I really love Asian flavors, particularly Southeast Asian. So, and, you know, flavors, Vietnamese flavors, um, even, you know, Sichuan cuisine. And it's, yeah, all those kind of fresh flavors that I really, really love. What would be your, your dish for yourself? Um, I also really love cabbage. <laughs> so yeah. that's probably one of my favorite vegetables, which a lot of people find quite odd. Um, but I generally will always have cabbage in my fridge. 
to be able to cook because it is versatile. You can have it raw, you can have it cooked, you can have it kind of, and it works really well with, with Asian food as well. So I think yeah. one of my kind of just quick go-tos would be just cabbage sauté in a pan with a little bit of um, chili oil and coconut milk and chopped coriander. And then if there's some protein to add to that, you know, so be it. But that's probably my my kind of go-to in terms of a quick a quick fix that also has, you know, is pretty veg heavy as well. It, it doesn't sound weird to me at all. So, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I come from Russia and we eat cabbage a lot. So mm-hmm. Ukrainian borscht that yes. we cook, the whole cabbage base, red um, beetroot mm. cabbage soup, the yeah, sorted cabbage mm. a lot, raw cabbage yes. with salted, mm. oh, delicious. Mm. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> and um, I've recently purchased your book, Planted. So I've, I've sent you um, a little photograph of one <laughs> of my creations, but I've been really enjoying it, actually. Oh, I've tried your poached plums mm-hmm. for breakfast. Yes. And my family is not vegan, is no, we're mm-hmm. not dairy-free. But the best thing about those recipes is that you can adopt and adjust. Yes, so you can absolutely, absolutely cook them mm-hmm. with um, dairy products if you want to, but you can also um, make it vegan, dairy-free. Mm-hmm. And I think what I found amazing about it, so my intention was to bring more uh, dishes that have vegetables, mm-hmm. that kind of plant-based cooking that mm-hmm. you introduce in your book. And uh, it, it's been an eye-opener. It's absolutely, I absolutely loved it. So the uh, um, mushroom and spinach and truffle tasties yes, that yes. I've made. And another one, what else did they make? I'm still going through the list. Um, there was potato and celeriac, um, was that roasted? Yes. Yes. yes, yes, those yes. were delicious with, oh, a, good. with HP gravy. Yes. <laughs> I, some of the things are quite elaborate that yes, I need to yes. there's, there's spend some more that are time a lot on. more involved than others. That's yeah. right. Mm. So I cut the corners, um, like a, my poached plums came with a ready-made granola. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's delicious and you can put it in a jar and it's always yes. there in the fridge, mm. ready for any morning. Kids loved it. Great. So yes, planted is the way to go. Mm-hmm. So you've um, you've also appeared as a judge on two seasons of BBC MasterChef and tricks of the restaurant trade with Sophie Morgan was filmed here in mm-hmm. Treadwells. Um, you've been, of course, interviewed by many people and everywhere you come across as this kind of soft-spoken, relaxed, very consistent person. You almost, um, I think for the viewers, the feeling that I get is is just as if we know you mm-hmm. uh, from your interviews. It's it's like everyone wants to be your friend. That kind <laughs> of that kind of a vibe that I get. But at the same time, kitchen's environment mm-hmm. is so manic, so crazy, so deadlines driven when mm-hmm. it's a full floor and mm. you've got to deliver, um, and the pressure is constantly on. So, what are you like when being under that pressure? So I think it's again something that I've learned over the years and it's very different when you're um, part of that kitchen you know and, and you've got a leader versus being the leader um, and again it's that kind of responsibility that um, you've, that, that I feel and also I think with restaurants it's you know there is a sense of well it's kind of one person's you know it's the chef's the chef is so, responsible yes, for the food. Um, Does, is that going on in the kitchen when you say yes chef? It, I, I it does. I, I'm not a massive fan of it, to be honest. <laughs> and I've, I've often said to people, look, that's not my name. My chef is not my name. Um, but 
it sometimes it's just easier you yeah. know because it's like it's kind of a yeah it, it's kind of an ease and it's also you then know that people are with you if that makes sense so yeah. when you get an answer to something you you know that everyone's kind of working together and, and you're in the heat of service when time is you know of the essence it's it's of the moment um restaurants are you know food is of the moment yeah so you need everybody to be on that that journey with you um from start to finish so there is that you know it's a huge collaborative effort that takes you know a lot of a lot of effort from everybody you mm. need that communication going whether it's a yes absolutely so did you ever lose it <laughs> yes i have lost yes. it on a number of occasions <laughs> right um probably and yeah when i broken few, plates flying around yeah i i What's did it? do that i did do that once yes. which i'm not proud of um <laughs> but i can, yeah i am probably quite fiery i'm leo so i can right. i do have kind of a a, a fiery, fiery temper when it's I, i guess i'm very i can be quick to to react to right. something um be that negative or positive or um in the middle right so i think there is and also you need energy in the kitchen you know you can't kind of be mellow quiet and chilled out because yeah. you, the food won't come <laughs> it's kind right. of it's that simple right um and when people are waiting and expecting you need to be able to fulfill those expectations in terms of time and in terms of actual um consistency and what's on that plate and delivering something that's really delicious so we um, briefly talked about it before we started the recording the atmosphere in the kitchen because mm -hmm. um uh, what i said to you then is that a lot of shows television shows mm. they portray that environment to be very full-on um mm -hmm. very testing aggressive. Mm. very aggressive and whilst um there's an element of what people like to watch and a mm -hmm. bit of drama always sells well um but from from an expert from behind the um the past how how is it what is it like generally um i think kitchens have changed in the over the past you know the time i've been in them in london um where it probably was a bit like those tv shows back in the day um and some of the kitchens i was in it definitely was but i think times have changed and you know the, the industry's grown and they've also realized that that's not the best way to run a kitchen um and that's not saying that there shouldn't be the energy and and that that kind of you know the adrenaline that comes from it but i think there was a lack of respect for people okay. um in terms of of people being people um they were kind of treated as commodities and things that could be kind of used and abused um yet that has shifted and especially i guess probably the people that i um you know the circle i'm in within the industry we're all of that same mindset so i don't necessarily know how it works in in all kitchens these days mm. but i think that yeah there's definitely a a generation of us that you know wanted to make change and mm. facilitate and actually made that change happen so that it wasn't that kind of aggressive environment i think it's it's always going to be high pressure because that's what we do yes. that's it is of the moment but i think it's channeling that into a positive energy and there is because it's of the moment you can't kind of there are times where you probably have to be a bit shorter with someone than you would outside of service yeah um because you just need something done and you need it kind of in order to you know because the knock-on effect of something going wrong can be can be huge and can be disastrous That's right. it can be awful to try and kind of yeah get your be way out polite. of it it's just it's really hard so right. 
And also there's a lot of, you know, I can say this because I'm a lot older than a lot of them, a lot of my chefs in the kitchen. So, you know, a lot of them are quite young and sometimes, you know, everyone is different in terms of the way that they need, how they respond better. Mm. And there are some kind of young people that respond better to a kind of short, sharp, right, you know, you kind of need to get going now to the ones that that doesn't work for at all and they need more of a, come on, we need to do this. Um, So it's just, again, you know, it's, it's that balancing act between what people do react knowing to. Knowing your team as but well. But also knowing that, you know, it's that feeling there's nothing better than having a really great service where everyone is, you know, working really hard, doing really well, and everything just kind of flows. And it's a bit like a ballet performance. Everything just comes together, it flows, the timings are right, there's no aggression, it's very, you know, um, kind of graceful, but still energetic. So right. I think it's, um, yeah, it's about how they're bringing that team together. Right, because you worked with two very different personalities, so at least the, the way they um, they look on the outside, so Gordon Ramsay and Marcus Waring, very, two different characters, at least on, on the screen. Um, there's a lot of similarities, I would say, actually. I would say right. they're, they're very similar. Um, and then Josh, who ran the Savoy, was mm-hmm. probably slightly different. He was a bit softer, okay. um, and he was a fellow New Zealander, so probably a little bit... Um, you know, we kind of had a, had a really great relationship in that respect. Right. Um, and I had a huge amount of, of kind of admiration for him and respect for what he yeah. did and the way he did it. Because he did it in a really, he kind of had that kind of humanity and that empathy. Um, so from that perspective, it's, and I think for me, you know, learning the my own way of doing things was quite important as well. So that I could do things that I felt comfortable with um, rather than doing things that I had to do to be able to kind of, you know, fit into it to an environment. Right, right. How interesting. Mm. And um, now, obviously, with the announcement, mm. and it's it's been a very successful career. It's been a huge build up to this moment, um, or ultimately the moment of two years ago. But <laughs> we only found out about it now. And you, if I may say, coming out of kind of like a shadow of mm-hmm. Marcus Waring. So you um, stepping on a completely different um, pedestal, if that's mm-hmm. the English word, mm-hmm. of, of, of your own. And um, how does how is that relationship now? Is this because it's always a bit dramatic and <laughs> we've heard about, you know, Gordon yeah. and Marcus's mm. um, big fight. Yeah. And it's it's tricky. Yeah. It's not easy and there's expectations on each side mm-hmm. that may not match. Um, how is it now for you with Marcus? Yeah, I think there is. I think had, you know, obviously there's a lot of different factors now as well with COVID, etc. So it kind of, I guess, in some senses, you know, separated completely because that was, you know, there was just no sense of even... Um, seeing people mm. um, and I think that you know what this has done is allowed me to to move forward you know really in terms of the way I want to in terms of my ethos and you know there were things probably that I held back on before because I felt they may have kind of clashed with with what Marcus was doing so that was you know that respect was there not to kind of um, you know converge on on what he does and what he was doing so I think now to be able to just forge forward on on what I believe in um, is really important. Right. Mm. Um, what are you going to do differently? 
Um, I don't think I'm going to do anything differently. I think I'm going to do more of what I have been doing, I would say. Um, I think for me moving forward, it's, you know, what is next? And obviously what was next kind of six months ago is it's a very different landscape now. Um, so it's about seeing, you know, what I can make of things. I think I, at the moment, there is a feeling of, I guess, that helplessness of anxiety of what's coming and that's not something I'm good at. <laughs> I, I, it's not a feeling I'm kind of familiar with, if I'm right. honest. So I always feel, you know, for me, it's needing to do something. Um, needing to be proactive to, to do something to keep things going you know I have a responsibility for a lot of people and, and their livelihoods and their development and their progression and you know their lives in some respect so that's that's a huge pressure and for me um, you know kind of that's what takes importance over anything else is how can I create something that you know offers meaningful something that's meaningful for people it's not just a job with a paycheck um, it's actually something that allows them to to prosper, to grow, but also to have a, a sense of family. I think that's really important right now, and especially because a lot of them, you know, they don't have family in London or even in the UK. So I think that you know does become a second home as well. So it's about trying to um, trying to enhance that as much as possible. That's it, it, and I and I get a feeling that you back to your what you do best you know putting the brave face on with <laughs> everything that's um that's going on you thinking of how to look after the people you're responsible for mm. who is out there that's looking after Chantel Nicholson <laughs> um I'm a lot better at that than I used to be I would say that yeah um yeah I think I am and I think you know the team are are great and they're all very supportive um and that's been you know, that's been the really kind of heartening thing with, with everything that's going on is there is that kind of coming together and that support of, you know, the ones that are kind of the pillars around me effectively that, that are kind of propping propping everything up and propping me up. And I've got amazing, you know, supportive friends that are also really, um, you know, there is that sense of, of actual support. And I think, you know, you mentioned it before sometimes, it's hard to get that support and I think because the industry is going through much it, it's so much right now it's quite hard to be able to give that support to each other in some respects it's there but it's you know it's taking all your energy to get kind of yourself mm. keep yourself going so it's really nice to have people just that are outside the industry doing different things that can kind of be a bit of a um you know a welcome distraction for some time and actually but also are able to give you their opinions on on things and actually some advice um yes. and even you know the public I, I posted something on on instagram yesterday about you know how challenging these times are that's right um and just even the response you know from people some people i've never met but people that i you know have it, it feels positive that there is that that support and understanding of, of what's going on that's right mm. that's right so um another question i wanted to ask and you being part of the hospitality industry um, and going back slightly to your home life, mm -hmm. um, do you often host in your home? No. No? <laughs> no. Where do you usually host? What is the, what is um, it? What, what, if what I was to, I mean, I probably have more, you know, more in the last, yeah, I have a lot more in the last six months than I ever have really. Right. Um, but I also, there is a sense of, you know, I'm used to, having a big a whole restaurant <laughs> to be able to that's welcome right. people into yeah. so that's a very different scenario at home and sometimes it's 
I guess there's frustrations at the size of the space and, and the resources and the equipment, you know, right. to kind of put it into a different context. Um, but so for me, you know, generally it's been meeting people out um, or in, in their homes. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of what's been been the case always. Well, I, I think this is exactly because usually I do these interviews in my guest houses. <laughs> yes. But the irony is that for you, this is extension mm. of your home. Mm. This is almost the attachment, the, this um, mm. oh, probably home is more of an attachment to your, um, to your restaurant because mm. you spend much more time here. Yes. And whilst lockdown was slightly different, mm. um, but a lot of your thoughts and you know actions mm. and everything you do is kind of directed at your baby yes here. yes and yeah and yeah you have a luxury of a equipment of a fantastic kitchen mm -hmm. why not to use it table space yes and and this is exactly why we are here in treadwells mm -hmm. today um it makes total sense so this question is actually um not much to do with the household but i need to ask it <laughs> So you were teaching Bradley Cooper and Sienna Miller <laughs> to cook like chefs for the film Burnt. Mm -hmm. This is exciting. For my world, it's so exciting. <laughs> so on the scale from one to 10, what were Bradley Cooper's and Sienna Miller's cooking skills like before your training? Um, How were they? They were both really interested and engaged. Absolutely. Um, and that's kind of, you know, a huge part of it. So. In terms of actual skills, I would That's say right. that um, probably Sina was the one that had a lot more, a lot more skill. So, um, so from this, on the scale from one to ten, would be interesting to I see mean, your judgment of that. As a you know, to remove it, you know, remove from a restaurant cook, um, you know, her confidence was amazing as well. Just in terms of like heat and things, it was you know she had that level of confidence about her um, to just really get stuck in. So she was probably. Yeah, I'd say she was probably an eight, actually. Not yeah. bad. Um, he was probably a six or a seven. So again, okay. you know, they were all pretty, pretty good, actually. Pretty skillful. Mm. That, that, that's a good judgment. Cause <laughs> I, I will be super scared to ever host for you, honestly. But at some point, no, we'll do that. It's the opposite. I, you know, <laughs> anyone that, that cooks for me, I appreciate tenfold because it's something that, um, you know, it's, it's a very... I just become very appreciative of it because it's not it's something I you know normally have to do for myself so it's it's lovely to have it you know have someone else do it for me. Oh that's interesting because um what I was finding cuz um as part of Natalia Lloyd interiors when I come to other people's houses and they get quite tense and like oh there's nothing like an interior designer being in your house and assessing things mm. but exactly you're right mm. you just observe and yeah. appreciate yeah, if, exactly. Um, if there's a, something's been has been done differently, fantastic. So um, we talked a little bit about what's next mm -hmm. for Chantal Nicholson. Where are you thinking? So there's obviously a lot of um, instability, and mm -hmm. the the it, it's a bit of a blank canvas at the moment. Mm. Um, but you mentioned off the record that you're thinking of potentially new space. Mm -hmm. for your restaurant so i had pre pre-covid um i was looking to move 
this site anyway, just to a space that was more aligned with what I wanted to do and actually create something from, from kind of scratch that was about me um, and my ethos. So obviously that's being slightly put on, on hold for now. Um, but I think in the interim, um, I would like to have somewhere that's, you know, look at a, a temporary space in a, in a neighborhood community right now, because I think that's where there will be some demand in the next in the next few months versus in Covent Garden, which is probably going to remain pretty quiet. Yeah, pretty quiet for the next few months with with the recent news. So, yeah, watch the space. Watch the space. <laughs> so exciting. Um, so in, I've got a quick blitz questions left oh, for you. Oh, okay. And uh, they five short questions, mm -hmm. and um, let's see what your answers are going to be. So your top book recommendation on mindset and success? Oh, um, could be from the cooking industry as well. For me, it's ones about being, you know, kind of true to yourself and your credibility and also learning to, um, you know, let certain things go. I think that's quite an important one that I've learned as well. To be is able to is that what you're trying to follow? Yes. Let things go. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's right. Household tasks that you'd like to outsource? Dusting. Dusting? Yes. No one gave me that answer. I oh. love it. Yes. Because it's one thing that's probably the, you know, the most off in your house is dust, yes. you know, generally. Yes. Um, and I've had a construction site next to me for the last six months. So I'm uh, literally okay. I over see. dust right now. So yes, definitely dusting. Definitely dusting. <laughs> yes. Okay. So you need a duster. I do. Okay. If, anyone's, if anyone's willing. <laughs> Well, put I can, the message I can out provide, there. I can swap them for food. You know, do a deal. <laughs> you you may get a line, you know, for that. Why not? <laughs> um, favorite meal of the day and why? Dinner, um, because it's generally when I'm at home, it's a time to relax and chill out, and it's a time that I can kind of switch off a bit more. So for you, usually that's one o'clock in the morning. No, no. So, I mean, dinner. If we if. I'm in the restaurant, we probably have our, our dinner, so we cook something about four o'clock. Right. That's our dinner. Um, so, and generally, you know, kind of as you're kind of tasting and eating in the restaurant, you kind of have one, I kind of have one meal when I'm here. So, but when I'm at home, that's probably the, yeah, the meal I look forward to. The meal you look forward to. Top choice for celebrity house guest? Um, Could be Treswell, as we, you know, with you, we've already moved to that home and house meaning to yeah. the next level um probably michelle obama right you're the second person who oh really is. yes oh, so why why is it for you i just think she's inspirational and i think what she's again she's so credible she's so honest down to earth um and she's also using her ability to do to do a lot of good things that's right mm. a huge role model huge i think she managed to um yeah to show how to be in power but not to be powerful to be to how, how to be compassionate I yeah yeah, yeah. And i think that's what everyone admires her um she is definitely on my list of people i'd love to meet one yeah, day definitely absolutely. so your dream house and location oh gosh dream house would be a place that had a huge garden um, with loads of fruit trees, vegetables, um, probably some animals, so kind of countryside. Um, 
and with a really big kitchen <laughs> and lots of oh. storage space. <laughs> Sounds like a restaurant at the house. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Where would that be? New um, Zealand? Or you? It would be next to water if I could. Next to water. Yeah. I, I really love water. So that would be, yeah, anywhere next to water that had um, a good climate. So, you know, sunny in the winter, cold, so sunny in summer, cold in winter is fine. Um, and yeah, overlooking water would be perfect. Did you ever think, and it's not the question from here, but did you ever think of um, um, going potentially back to New Zealand? Um, Interestingly, not really, because I think I've, I've really established a home here. Um, there was a little brief moment um, during lockdown when New Zealand did homesick. so well. Yes. With, with COVID, I thought, should I go and open a restaurant there? Because clearly they're, you know, much better prepared at this than, than we are. Yeah. Um, but it was just a fleeting moment. So, yeah. So I would, at this point, I would say no, but who knows? Never say never. Exactly. Well, Chantal, it's been my absolute pleasure having you on my podcast. It's fascinating to know what a fantastic lady you are. And um, it, it's amazing to share your story because it's a, it's a, it's a story of a, success full of compassion full of kindness full of determination and um whilst you know you being so strong and um dealing with all these things there's a lot on your shoulders mm. and how you cope with it how you come across your energy is fantastic so i'm wishing you all the best and um sure now that um we're gonna see each other much more um i think there's a um, well, by the time the episode airs, it will be in the past, but tonight is the um, sororities dinner mm -hmm. here at Treadwells, and uh, there will be quite a bit of social media coverage, I'm sure, for that. Uh, so, to more fantastic guests, dinners, um, and yeah, prosperity to your restaurants. Thank um, you so much. I'm pretty sure this is not um, the last one. Um, I hope so. I hope so, so, I'm wishing you all the best and all the luck. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beehive Household Podcast. Please don't forget to like, leave your review and share with your friends and family. For more information on the design services we offer, visit our website www.natalialloydinteriors.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook under Natalia Lloyd Interiors as well as LinkedIn. Bye now till the next episode. Look after yourselves and your loved ones.